Today's scripture reading, Deuteronomy 5, verses 6 through 7. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Deuteronomy 5, verse 20. And you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Ephesians 4, verses 14 through 15. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Ephesians 4, 21-25 Assuming that you have heard about him, and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeliness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another." This is the word of God. Okay, Revive. We are in commandment number nine out of ten in our series on the Ten Commandments called Gospel Completes Law. And I'll just give you a little sense of where we're at. I'm planning on at least two more messages after this on commandment ten. Um, big subject on covetousness. Um, but today we're going to cover what it means to be truthful and um, not be filled with lies this is actually a pretty hard sermon to prep. And um, you think it's really simple. On the one hand, I could just say, okay, don't, don't lie. Okay, that seems really, really simple, right? But it's not that simple. It's incredibly um, hard um, to not be filled with lies first, to have them in your own heart, in your own mind, and then also to not say them yourself and then to be participants in a lying world. And so um, let's get into this big and huge subject. And um, I, I hope this will bless you. So part one, fighting for truth in a world of lies and lying. Fighting for truth in a world of lies and lying. Part two, the truth with love and for love. The truth with love and for love. And I want to close by Part three, the truth came to love us. It's your little hint of where we're going. The truth came to love us, okay? And this message I've entitled, truth unto love and justice. So um, I've had our brother, you know, look at a couple of key passages. There are unbelievably lots of passages in the Bible about truth. And um, I want to just say a little something about this particular portion A lot of times when people think about this commandment number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, people just simply means, okay, don't lie. Um, That isn't exactly what it's saying. the, The context is that of the court. Do not bear witness. It's a court proceeding. And what is at stake in a court proceeding? There's an accusation against somebody. And if you're going to come forward and be a witness, will you... Be somebody that allows the truth to come out. And so one of the really big things going on in our, in our society is this, 
This is a, not easy, even easy, easy to get to. So the first point I want to get across is it doesn't exactly say don't lie. That's not what commandment number nine says. There are people today who think about truth and lying as if it's a simple binary. That's, that's, this is the truth and this is a, this, um, and this is a lie. There, that, I, I don't think that's a, I think it's smart and wise in some ways to keep it simple. But if this is the only way you look at truth and lies, I, I, I want to propose to you that there's, it's, a, it's kind of childish, right? Um, lies and truth, truth is sometimes a, a much bigger thing than simply it was like this and it was like this. Now, um, in a court proceeding, what are we talking about here? This commandment is, first of all, I want to offer you the context. The context is justice. What is truth for? Do not be a person that speaks falsity in the context so that, so that the truth must come out so there can be justice. That's what it is. So that people can be treated right. And if someone has done something wrong, that can come to light. And if someone has been falsely accused, that also can come to light. So that's the first thing I want to talk about here. The, the, the context is, is about justice. Now, I want to just say um, this. Um, you think this is an easy thing. Now, if you were ever brought before a court proceeding and some big matter was at stake, you're like, of course I would tell the truth. You know, in, in, in our justice system, I don't even know if they still do this, but you're supposed to put your hand on the Bible and you swear to tell the whole truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. This is what we're talking about in this commandment. But I, I want to just start off with something that may be um, as obvious to some of you, but maybe not to all of you. Just doing this, actually is not easy. <laughs> um, not perjuring is actually not easy. What if uh, one side um, wanted to offer you um, certain benefits? What if one side was the side that was your friends and if what you would testify, would, that it, would not do, it wouldn't be to their advantage? That you'd have tremendous temptation to fudge what you say on the witness stand and um, perjury. So not even perjuring, this is, um, this is not easy. And then there's other situations in our, in, our, in, in our world, in our situations, you know, you've probably watched these movies where um, you've heard this thing called the witness protection, you know, the federal witness protection program. What if you saw something, you were a witness to something, and um, the people who perpetrated, you know, something that you saw were dangerous? And they weren't just dangerous to you. They were dangerous to your family, to your loved ones. And if you were to get up there and speak and, and quite very straightforward, obey commandment number nine, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, your life could be in serious trouble. Your, your family's life could be in serious trouble. That's, now, that's pretty dramatic, but it's real. This is what... This is what a lying world is like. Um, because the world is not geared toward truth. This is the, one of the first points I want to make. The world is not geared toward truth. Everybody gets what the truth is, right? No, they do not. You know what the world is geared toward? It's geared toward power. That's what it's geared toward. In a world without God, the world is not geared to justice. The world is not geared for love. The world is not geared for truth. All these things get sacrificed for power. Power, advantage, 
money, safety, and guess what? Human beings, we as human beings, as fallen sinful human beings, when truth is at stake or safety, money, power, something else, an advantage, we are often willing to sacrifice, fudge, and corrupt the truth part for all these other things. And almost everybody considers it completely reasonable and normal. Um, let me just talk about something maybe a little bit less, uh, you know, less dramatic. Um, if, uh, if you were at work and um, you saw something from your boss and your work group, you really liked their boss because the boss was generally really, really nice to you, but what you thought you saw from him was pretty unethical. And if you were to um, say, go forward to proper people and authorities and say what's going on, if you are called a hero, they'd call you a whistleblower. But to your coworkers, you might be called a snitch. Because in certain groups, what is more important is loyalty, not truth. We're not talking about a court proceeding. We're just talking about your work. We're talking about your friends. You're 12 years old. And your friends prefer going around and doing certain kinds of things. And if you say the truth about it, you are disloyal. Um, I'll tell you a story. When I was in the, in the sixth grade, I won't say her actual name. I actually remember her name, but um, I'm just going to call her Shelly, okay? So that's not her actual name. There was a girl in my class named Shelly. And Shelly was tall, and um, she was probably hitting puberty a little bit earlier than other people. And Shelly was shy and socially awkward. She wasn't ugly, and she wasn't stupid. Um, she was at least average intelligence, and if not, probably above average intelligence. But for some reason, a couple of the pop most popular girls in the class didn't like her and decided that Shelly was going to be um, the class whipping board. And so, and of course, I wasn't there when, you know, some rumors started. Well, there's because, you know, I'm not part of the, the little clique of the, the popular girls in the class. But it soon started to spread that Shelly, there was something wrong with her. I can't, I can't even exactly what it was. I mean, I guess when you're in second grade, they say you have cooties, okay? But it's like the sixth grade version of that. That somehow there's something wrong and dumpy about her. And if you were her friend or if you were kind to her, you would get all the rejection and ugliness dumped upon Shelly. And Shelly was seen as kind of a gross and ugly person. Though, if you were just, just be honest about it, it's just not true. It's completely not true. And the reason I mention that to you is when I was in the fifth grade, Shelly and I were, I don't want to say friends, but friendly. I was generally a nice kid, and um, I was one of the, you know, the, 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 the you know, better performing, smarter kids in the class. And sometimes she'd come to me and ask me for help. And since I was kind to her, and she was a kind of a lonely person, she was kind to me. And, um, but then when we got to sixth grade, and somewhere toward the back end of fifth grade, she started getting bullied. And then by sixth grade, she was completely like persona non grata. That was it. So then in the next, the next year, she was in the same class with me. Half the kids that were in fifth grade were in my class too. And everything ratcheted up to make Shelly horrible. And if anybody was even 
partially kind to Shelley, you would be treated that way too. And I remember some of the kids in the class who did not know Shelley the previous year would say to me, hey, Susan, weren't you friends with her? Weren't you friends with her? And I still remember, I'm still, I feel shame about this to this day. And you know what I said? Oh, no, no, right? And so here's the context. There is a situation. We need the truth of this situation. Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Were you friends with Shelley? And I'd have to say, well, yeah, at least kind of. But at a time when she desperately needed one person, one, at least one person, to stand up with her and for her and said, this stuff that's being said about her, it's, 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 it's not right. One, it's not right. It's cruel. And two, it's just false. It's just flat out false. Somebody had some guts to be able to do it. Maybe one or two or three other people that were a little bit more decent would do it. And then Shelley wouldn't have had, had such a completely horrific sixth grade. And um, I don't know. Um, sometimes things like this at the age of 11 or 12 is the difference between whether a young girl turns into a young woman who is depressed and hurting and hates herself and uh, kills herself or whether a couple people stand up for her and um, she has, she's not alone in the world and uh, she thrives and makes it and she comes out of, you know, she, she starts to blossom and makes a difference in life. And, um, and I really failed that back then. Now you could say, hey, Susan, you're 11 years old. Let me tell you something. Yeah, I was 11 years old. But you know what? This little thing, the Shelly, this Shelly thing, this is a microcosm of the whole world. It happens when you're in high school. It happens when you get to college. It happens in your work group. It happens in so many crazy different ways. It happens in big ways. It happens in small ways. Will we be about truth? And particularly about truth unto justice? It's the way I want to start this message, okay? Now, what I want to do right now, let me shift gears a little bit. I want to just blitz you through a bunch of passages in the Bible. So you can see I'm not making a mountain out of one verse. It's one seemingly simple verse. And, but I want to show you how much this is in the Bible. And it was honestly really easy to find lots of passages in the Bible. I just Googled it. <laughs> okay, so I didn't need to be some great Bible scholar. There's so many that the, I guess as your, as, your, as your pastor, I had to kind of start making choices. But let me blitz through some, all right? So, so here we go, Old Testament and New Testament. Um, here's the first one. Proverbs chapter eight, verses six through nine. And in Proverbs eight, this is a portion where wisdom is being personified. So wisdom herself is speaking. I'm wisdom, and here's what I have to say. So here it goes. And here's what wisdom says to everybody. Here, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Let me repeat that. My mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands 
and right to those who find knowledge. So here's wisdom. You know what real wisdom is like? First and foremost, utter truth, no wickedness, nothing twisted or crooked. And this is really interesting. The people who receive it will recognize it as straight. And the people who are so screwed up won't. So it's an indictment on a lot of people. Um, I, I think we do live in a time when truth is more terribly received. It is not received. And it has, and this verse, chapter 8, verse 9, is an indictment on our times. Um, that we actually just hate truth. We actually reject truth. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. But apparently that's less and less people today, right? That's the first one. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17. Another place in Proverbs. So you get to this part of Proverbs and you just get these quick, you know, aphoristic type verses. But here's one. Verse 17 of chapter 12. Whoever speaks the truth give honest, gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. So that similarly goes back and echoes um, commandment number nine. Um, but today I want to make a little comment about this. There are um, really, you know, things that are going on in our society. America, one of the things that makes America a really great country is that our justice system believes in due process. That you are considered innocent until proven guilty, not just the cops pick you up, now you're guilty, everybody agrees with the cops, now you're bad, right? No, there's actually a process. It's called due process, and thus now the evidence has to be weighed. The evidence is how we will know if a person is truly guilty or not guilty. And you know what? This is in trouble. This is in serious trouble in our society. And um, I hope you're scared about that. I'm very, very frightened about that. And in a very wicked society where power completely obliterates justice and will erase truth for lies, um, due process, you know, we, we, we get rid of due process or it's corrupted. And so that's, a, that's something I'm really, really concerned about. I hope you are too. And that will, that's something that will protect a lot of people. Um, it has nothing to do with being on the politically conservative side or the politically liberal side. This is justice. <laughs> Let's go to another place in the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. O Lord, capital L-O-R-D, this is Yahweh. O Lord, Yahweh... Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? So we're talking about, we're moving toward the spiritual now. The spiritual. Not just wisdom, not just justice. How do you get to God? Verse two. The answer is, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend. I, I, I chewed on this for quite some time. Um, I want to say a little something about this. Um, I want to make two comments about this. One, are you a person that you hear something bad about your friend and you take it up, a reproach about your friend, you take it up quickly, easily, because you, like, you believe dirt easily? And um, it's not a good aspect of you, according to Psalm chapter 15, verse 3, from God. If it's your friend... You should give them due process, okay? Benefit of the doubt. Look for evidence. 
ask for perspective, okay? And let me tell you, say a little something about verse two. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Um, when I was a young man, I found myself wanting to believe in certain things about myself. So there's a part of me that said, I want to believe this about myself. And then there's another part of me that said, I don't think that's true. And then there was kind of so like, there's a part of you that wants to believe this. There's another part of you that doesn't think it's true. You know what? There's kind of a third part of you that has to examine it for its evidence. So you actually have to be impartial, evidentiary about you. <laughs> you know, most of us don't know that in your own heart, you can't be too easily um, swayed about lies about you. A lot of us, we like to believe in lies in our own heart. That's where it starts. If you believe in a lie, even about yourself or about the world in your own heart, you're really in big, big trouble. You're really, really lost. And so um, I want to ask you, there has to be a fight there. And again, false witness, bearing testimony, evidence, having a fair and honest look at yourself and your world around you um, and, and you might not be picking this up. I'm really big on evidence. <laughs> I'm really, really big on evidence about yourself, not just your feelings. You're never going to get the truth about your feelings. You've got this feeling, feelings. Gosh, it's one of the things I really, I really, I really have a big problem. I mean, let me be really blunt. I absolutely despise this about our age, that everybody thinks their feelings are going to tell them their truth. That is complete nonsense. Your feelings are a really good place often, not always, to be filled with your lies. And especially if your feelings are really biased toward yourself. And so, make sure there's truth in your heart and check the evidence, all right? Psalm 116, verse 160. This one's simple, but it's, a, it's, worth, it's worth saying. The sum of your word, that is God's word, is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. It's a simple point. You know what the real, um, the, 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 the absolute, you know, north star and compass point for truth is? It's God's word. And um, I want to say a little something about this today. If you don't know God's word, you don't have a good, you don't have a good, uh, you don't have a north star for truth. And I want to say something else. If you're a person that doesn't believe in God and doesn't have any north star, let me ask you, what is that north star? Do you have a, a compass, an absolute foundation of what is truth, or you just only have your feelings? You just have um, what all the Republicans say, what all the Democrats say, what the media says, what my professor says, what my dad said, what my mom said. You know what? You don't have a compass. And you just have biases. You think you have truth in the world, but you really only have opinions. Massive number of so-called smart people can believe this to be true, but I don't know if you just know anything about history. Whole society to believe completely nonsense things. What makes you, you think that our society somehow are brightest and best and smartest and PhDs and people who came out of all the smartest universities, they're completely right. Of course, they're not completely right. They are and wrong on numerous things and not a little wrong, spectacularly wrong. Because our era is a normal false era without a compass. So please keep that in mind. The sum of your word, God's word, is truth. Now some of you are saying, 
It's really nice for you because you believe that that's true because you're a Christian. But I want to just point out this point. You've got to have a compass somewhere. Something has to be the final pivot point of truth. If you don't have one, you only believe in lies. <laughs> I'm glad you have your truths. I'll have my truths. Okay, it's, this is the same. When you say that, it's the same as, I'm glad you have your lies. I'll stick to my lies. That's what I want to point out. Final verse out of the Old Testament I want to uh, pick up. These are the words, uh, Zechariah, verse chapter 8. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for all these things I hate, declares Yahweh. Um, we start off, crooked words are an abomination. God hates false oaths. He hates these kinds of things. Um, God is not a wimpy God who's just like, we'll just, uh, we'll just let this go. No, he does not. Let's, let's shift to, to the New Testament. I'll give you three verses out of the New Testament. Um, this one is the, this is the one that's, I think, the, the toughest. This is from the mouth of Jesus, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. He's having a debate with the, the major rulers and uh, the, the smart you know, religious leaders of the time. And this is what he says to them. And then, of course, because he said this to them, they hate his guts and they want to murder him. And you can, you can get a feel of why. But here's what he said. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. This is uh, it's his very nature. It is his character to be a liar. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You know what Jesus is saying? The reason you lie a lot is because your father is the devil and you act just like him and you have the same character as him. And Jesus is saying this to the so-called good people of his time. And there's a, there's a big fight here. I started off this message by saying the world is about power. It's also about our righteousness. And our righteousness is often filled with our lies. And there's a lot of righteousness today, which is like this. And um, I'm afraid that to Jesus, there's a lot of righteousness, which is really not of God, is more of the devil, because it is rife with lies. I'm just a... Put that in your mind, okay? Let me go to two more. Verse John chapter 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word. Here's the context. Jesus is giving what is famously being called the high priestly prayer. It's a serious prayer for all the disciples going to follow after Jesus before he goes to the cross. You know what he's asking God to do? Sanctify them, purify them, make them holy with what? In truth. Purify them with your word through the truth. Brothers and sisters, you want to become a, a more deep and, tr um, and really deeper human being, you have to pursue truth. You have to let God's truth wash over you. This is Jesus' prayer for us. Let me close with this. 1 Peter 1.22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. 
Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. I'm going to get to that in part two. Um, truth is for love. Truth is for love. Now, let me, I, I knew I was going to spend a good amount of time on that. Let me see if I can say this next part um, concisely. Why do we lie? Why do we lie? I want to give you two um, I want to give you kind of like two, I mean, this isn't everything, but I want to give you two important points about this. Why? Um, and I want to start with this one. This first part is because it's simply hard to face the truth. It's simply hard to be in the truth. It takes both courage and integrity, including inside yourself, which I've already mentioned, to face and recognize the truth and to be in it. Because the truth is often very, very inconvenient and costly, and sometimes painful. That's really the case. The truth is painful, especially about ourselves. And so um, you look at a circumstance. It's a messy circumstance. It's always just easier to have a simple story. Good guy, bad guy. What if the story is the good guy is bad in certain ways, the real truth is, and the bad guy is really a victim in certain ways, and the truth is hard, gray, Messy, complicated, and hard to go through. What about the truth of yourself? You're going to find out about the truth of yourself. And you're going to find out, especially if you really trust the Bible, there's a lot of bad things inside yourself. And one of the things I found out about a lot of us is we're pretty cowardly. We don't have courage. We don't have integrity. So in order to just be inside of truth, you're like, I know how to tell the truth. Well, yeah, but do you know how to be courageous? Do you have guts, no matter what? Do you have an integrity that does not fold easily? It's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, and then it starts to get even harder. And I want to point out something, you know, I, I'm going to like dip into the Tim Keller well here. Um, the world, we like to build the world on lies. Um, the truth of the world is actually really, really hard. And the truth of our life can be hard. And I want to, I want to give you this past Saturday in our, um, in our devotional materials, I gave you a reading out of, out of, out of a Tim Keller sermon from many, many years ago. And I want to draw a little portion out of this. And he quotes, um, from a column he read from, in, from the village voice, Cynthia Heimel. And what he talks about is Cynthia Heimel is in New York city she used to know these people that were like nobodies. They, you know, they used, when they were, how do you put it? Uh, she knew them when they worked at Macy's, when they were bouncers in theaters, when they were just nobodies. And then they hit it. They didn't just get successful. They became celebrities. They hit it really, really big. And then what she found out was they were still the same person. They're completely, horribly miserable. And they howled. And then they became absolutely insufferable because all these things if I just, just hit it big and have super success, then I will be happy and I'll be a nice person and everything will just be great. But they're still themselves. And they just really couldn't accept that everything that they had built their life on was a lie. It was false. So here's the part I want to quote. Tim Keller goes like this. Henrik Ibsen, the great Norwegian playwright, put it another way. He said, when you take away somebody's life lie, that's a word to use, life lie, they lose all their happiness. 
What's the life lie? As long as you have something you think will fill up the emptiness that we all sense, and we all sense an emptiness, we all find ourselves, something inside of us feels empty and insecure and unhappy. As long as you believe there's something out there that will fulfill you, you live in a kind of denial of the magnitude of that emptiness. And so you know what we like to fill, fill that, that, that emptiness with? What Ibsen calls the life lie. If I get this, if I achieve this, if I get that great, you know, like love of my life, if I just get that great this, if I just get that nice really car and then it's going to feel so great about myself. But we like those lies. We like the life lie. And we just feel that without that, we won't be happy. That's hard to face, but it's true. I'll make a second point about why we, um, why we lie. And this is a really blunt point, but I want you to think about it. Because we don't have God in our life. It's a secular cu culture. So even the Christians, we believe in God, but he's really, really back there and kind of distant and a little weak. And, you know, Tim Keller has this phrase for this. He goes, keeping God in the suburbs. That's, what, that's the way he puts it. Heck, suburbs, like, you know, in like the trunk, not even the back seat. But if your world, and I'm not talking about the, the world, just your world doesn't have a powerful God. If he does not reign, and you don't have a salvation that lasts forever, and you don't have his hope, and you don't have him as your compass, and his face, or his anger, his disapproval over you, then power and convenience and just going along with your friends, the Shelleys of the world are going to get it because it's just easier to do that when there isn't God. Okay, let's, let's shift gears to part two. I want to take you to a one, I want to take you to one, and I'll try to give you a brief about this, one important application of how we can live and I hope you're starting to pick this up. I said this last week. It isn't just a do not. There's a how will we live in glorious holiness, in God's heart, in God's ways, all right? And so let's take you to those uh, verses out of Ephesians 4 that our brother read earlier. So here's Ephesians 4, verses 14 and 15. It's a little bit strange because we're breaking the middle of a super long sentence that Paul was um, saying. So here's how I put it. So that we may no longer be children, that is childish, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind and doctrine. That's how many of us are. You know, just things just kind of, these opinions just fly about on the internet in our lives and we are tossed to and fro. So that we won't be like this or be tossed by every wind of, human, of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, in other words, lies, rather... Speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, that is Christ, who is the head, into Christ. You want to know how we're going to grow and come out of being tossed about left and right? Speak the truth in love. Let me go on to verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about him, that is Jesus, and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, the truth is in Jesus. 
to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed through the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, now here's what we do. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak, speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. In part one, I really want to emphasize to you the truth is unto justice. But here's what I want to say to you. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know what justice is? Justice is actually an expression of love. It's really what it is. In 21st century America, we tend to think, I have these feelings for this person. I love this person. You don't have to have any feelings towards somebody to give them justice. And if you do, you love them with justice. All of this is that truth is with love and truth is for love. And so um, I want to push back against this idea that we're going to be truthful people. And thus, some people, they pride themselves on speaking brutal truth, harsh truth. They're very harsh with the truth. And what I want to ask you today is to, to rethink that. And I'm kind of like that too. I'm more on the truth side than on the gentle side. And, and if you sometimes had a rough truth from me and sometimes from the pulpit, I'm sorry about that. But, um, you know, love is not always nice. Sometimes love has to be tough. But it's important that truth is wielded for love. I hope that, you know, if you are a pastor by me in our church, that you... you Think that I'm up here trying to love you. I'm always trying to, and if, if I fail, please forgive me. But this is the call of the scriptures. Speak the truth in love. And look at the other person. We are one, with, we are members one of another. You know what that is a term? Of? It's covenant. Before God, who, how will you treat this person? With your words? And will you be in truth? And so let me say a couple things about this. Um, a couple pieces of wisdom points. And especially as a pastor, gosh, it's, it's, it's a, this is, it takes a lot of wisdom and art and nobody's perfect at it. And I'm certainly far from, very far from perfect. I learned a few things though. And I want to say a few things. In all the people that you are interact with, please be slow to judge. Be slow to judge. And be a learner. You see something about them, you just know what they're like, right? Do you? Really? Do you? Somebody else said something about them that's kind of negative. You know that that's true, right? Do you? You should be a learner. You should be a discoverer. And be, don't be so fast to judge. And um, give, fill out context try to hear a little more of their story. And here's another part of it. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, one of the things I have learned over the years is some people are incredibly good at picking up a first impression, and then that first impression turns out to be mostly accurate. I have found I'm not very good at being accurate. But over the years, what I've done then is I've practiced benefit of the doubt, and I doubt my first impression, and then I give people a lot of rope. And over the years, because I'm not like talented at picking up a person, what they're like from the first impression, you know what I found out? 
giving people a benefit of the doubt and then really finding out the truth of who they are and what they're like and then trying to serve them inside that truth with love, it's actually really, really a helpful thing. It's because I have a weakness. <laughs> I'm, I'm not good. I can't just magically figure out what you're like from the first impression. I've practiced benefit of the doubt. I've actually found out it actually is very, very helpful. So let me just uh, review those. Slow to judge. Learn. Be a learner. Fill out the context and their backstory and give people the benefit of the doubt. Let me close with this thing. Please use up your words to build up. To build up. Sometimes the words can be tough because, I mean, if they're not listening to you, sometimes you have to, I don't know, you sometimes have to say a little bit tougher things. But it should still be for love and to build up. And of course, we all fail at this and we all fall down at this. And certainly as a pastor, I do too. I just have many, many regrets about the ways I've fallen short in this. Um, but brothers and sisters, speak the truth in love. It's God's way and uh, it's pleasing to him. Now let me close, um, I'm gonna close with an important uh, gospel reflection. A lot of what I said to you is very, very wise and it'll help you in your life. But I want to take us to our ultimate compass. And we sang this song in the early portion of our service, I will build my life on your love. It is a firm foundation. Um, I will build my life on your truth. It is a firm foundation. What I want to say to you is, here's what the gospel says in relation to this topic. So I want to close by offering you two verses out of the Bible. And I want you to chew on this and why Jesus must be the ultimate foundation of your life. Right? And um, if you are not a Christian here today or are not sure you're a Christian here today, you have to have a foundation in your life. Something will be your compass. Something will be the bottom, bottom, final thing. If you don't have it, your life is really, really weak and flimsy and you will only just be pushed back and forth by powers. The powerful person in your, in your peer group, uh, you know, the winds of, of, of the doctrine of the day will push you back and forth. Um, I would never have gone along with uh, ratting out Jews when the Germans were trying to round them up to put them in the concentration camps because I know what the truth is. Well, I, don't be so sure. We all can sell out the Shelleys of our life if we do not have a foundation. I want to ask you that question. Do you have a foundation for truth? Truth unto love. And today I want to say, Jesus isn't just your savior to forgive you of your sins and then take you to the good place. He gives you power. He is a great foundation for truth. And here's the way I want to get close it. John chapter 14, verse six, this is what Jesus says. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who is Jesus? What is truth? It's a person. It's a person you could know. Jesus himself, if he isn't really the truth, he's just an idiot. If he is what he's saying is true, he's the most important person to have in your life. He is the truth. Let me take you to another verse. Famous verse. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. And I want to give it to you in context. There's a phrase in there that's super famous. And here's the context. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There's that phrase. God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live, we could really live and not die and be crushed by exploitation or oppression or wicked lies, that we could live through the son. So here's the two points. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. Truth is a person. John chapter, 1 John 4 says God is love. Here's the place I want to take you to. Jesus is God. Jesus is truth. Jesus is the truth who is himself love. Ultimate love is a person. Ultimate truth is a person. His name is Jesus. So let me close out this message this way. Jesus came to bring a truth that we do not want, that we could barely stand. That we are so bad that even our righteousness is condemnable, is damnable. And that we are utterly incapable of saving ourselves because we, we are liars. And we actually prefer the devil over God. And we actually like being sons of the lying devil and living in lies. Jesus came to not only tell us the truth that God loves us with an everlasting love, he came to be the truth. He came to be the truth of that love so that the ultimate truth and the ultimate love are one and the same and that person died for you so that all the truth that we should be condemned that truth can be lived out and he could conquer that truth and turn that truth into something sweet and he could be for us and he could love us. Because truth is the person whose love is total and unending, because he will have the last say and the final victory, don't give in to the lies of this world. You can have courage and you can seek integrity, brothers and sisters. Truth in love is Jesus. He as the truth is the final and most unshakable foundation of your person and of your life. Let Jesus be the biggest and most important truth in you and about you. Build your life on him, trusting in him and following after him. So let him have the whole, have a whole hold over you. Live with courage. Seek and face the truth always. Don't tell yourself lies, but live in, the tr live in this big, big, gigantic truth of Jesus about yourself. Face what's wrong, without, what's wrong with you and inadequate about you, but face it with hope. Face it with joy. Heck, laugh at yourself. You can laugh at yourself. You can laugh at your stupidities and your failures and your shames. Because the final word about you is not you. The final truth about you is love himself, truth himself, Jesus. And in this way, 
you can live. You can defeat this world. You can defeat this demonic, lying, liar's world and be with God and be of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that it is not up to us. If it's up to us, we cannot really be a truthful people except maybe the absolute most determined, which most of us, we don't have enough courage and integrity and strength and perseverance to be. But thank you, Lord Jesus, that you who are truth, you came to love us. Thank you that the final ultimate truth is not a scary and condemning truth. The final ultimate truth is mercy, grace, forgiveness, washing from love himself, Jesus. Help us to build our lives on the ultimate foundation and have you, Lord Jesus, be our compass, running after you, being filled with the truth that is always with love and always for love, just as you are to us. Truth in love, truth with love. He who is love, who is true for us. Thank you for being this for us. Help us to live this way in ourselves and for others. In Jesus' name, amen.